Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the We Belong Here podcast powered by Civic Commons. Uh, as always, thank you to the Big Phony for offering his music to uh, be our intro and outro. And this is the first episode of season two. So 2021, uh, welcome to season two. And I'm really excited to have our conversation today with three guests who are here. And we're going to talk about democracy. And, you know, if you are in the U.S., you probably have thought a lot about democracy in the last year, um, how it's impacted your life, the some of the attacks against it, some of the the worries behind it, but also the feeling of like engagement. <clears throat> how do we engage? Should we engage? Why is it important, et cetera? And so I'm really excited to have our guests introduce themselves in a second uh, to talk about their experiences and their own stories in this uh, theme, in this vein. And so without further ado, I would love to have our guests introduce themselves. My name is Rochelle Davis, and I am a senior policy advisor for Governor Inslee here in the state of Washington. Hey, everyone. My name is Kayla DeMonte, and I am the managing director at Citizen University, a national nonprofit based here in Seattle. And I'm Whitney Keyes. I'm the executive director of Seattle City Club, which is also based in Seattle and focused on civics and democracy. Awesome. Thank you for those introductions. So all of you are involved in democracy, right? Civic engagement. Um, I'm assuming that you all believe in democracy and care about this institution. And so I would love to hear uh, why you do this work. How'd you get into the work of democracy, of uh, engagement, about about civics? Like what drew you to that work? Thank, thanks, Frank. Uh, this is Rochelle. And I actually want to back up a little bit. I uh, went to law school because I thought I was going to be a corporate lawyer. I was going to do international corporate law. And I was on this pathway to doing uh, that work in China. And I worked in China during both of my summers while I was a student in uh, at NYU. And I uh, thought that that was going to be my career. But then um, there was this uh, young senator from uh, uh, Illinois who announced his presidency and that he was going to run uh, in 2008. And I became really engaged and involved in his uh, campaign. And I was hooked. Uh, I pretty much abandoned my initial goals of wanting to do international corporate law. I decided I needed to focus here in Washington on domestic policy issues. And I started working for the state. I started at a agency that no longer exists. It was called the Department of Early Learning. And uh, now um, I've been in the governor's office for nine years now. I work on democracy issues. I have voting and elections as part of my portfolio. So uh, it, it's something that's very personal to me. Uh, my family, my dad's side of the family is from the South. And I've seen how other parts of the country um, um, create barriers for folks to vote and uh, to access um, the uh, the elections and it's it's really troubling and I'm just so proud to live in a state where we have tried to increase access to, to democracy we've tried to decrease barriers to voting in elections and I can say that uh, we probably we do have the best voting and election system in the entire uh, country in terms of being able to vote by mail and um, in able in terms of having prepaid postage so I've just been so excited about uh, working in the governor's office on these important issues. In addition to voting in elections, I also work on equity and civil rights issues. Awesome. Um, just before Kayla jumps in, Rochelle, what is it about the the young senator from Illinois, that uh, that campaign that drew you into the, the abandoning the role of like your dream of corporate law, especially international law and going into campaigning? 
he brought a new energy that I had not seen. And I believed in him and his vision. And it, he was a leader I wanted to follow. And I believed in the America he was trying to create. And uh, he just really energized me and all of my friends and uh, uh, family members. And I, I wanted to help and I wanted to support him to make sure he was elected as president. Awesome. And I doubt that uh, President Barack Obama will listen to this podcast. But if he does, I pre- I think he'd appreciate and chuckle that we keep calling him the young <laughs> senator from Illinois. Um, I'm sure he doesn't feel very young anymore after two terms. Uh, thank you for your introduction. Uh, Kayla, why don't you go ahead? Sure. Um, and thank you, Rochelle, for the work you're doing. I feel really proud to live in Washington State in a place that really values and prioritizes voting for our citizens. So thank you. Um, yeah, so I have always been interested in, in democracy and, and politics and feel lucky to have found the organization I'm currently working at, Citizen University, um, where we are really working to build a culture of powerful, responsible citizenship across the country. And the reason that I love this work is I feel really passionately about those two key words in our mission, culture and citizenship. Um, before I had this current job with CU, I had seen a Facebook post um, for a program, a CU program called Civic Saturday. And it sounded up my alley and I went by myself to just check it out. And the way that it was described was as a civic analog to a faith gathering. And I thought, okay, that's kind of interesting. But I have to tell you, I went and it blew my mind. Uh, It felt inviting. It felt communal. It felt participatory. Um, It was unlike so many other political meetings I'd ever gone to, which can sometimes feel so insidery or transactional or vitriolic. Um, At Civic Saturday, we heard people reading civic texts. We stood up and sang together. Um, I talked to the person next to me about why democracy mattered to us. And that experience was really huge for me. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think about democracy, they go straight to politics, um, elections, lawmaking, advocacy. And all of that is, of course, so critical. Um, there are so many structural issues that we all need to be um, changing through electoral politics. And um, I think structure alone is not enough to create lasting change. We also need a strong civic culture. Um, and by that, I mean our habits and our norms and behaviors and the ways that we gather together, um, places that we can really just reflect on what's going well and what is not going well, um, where we can build up some civic muscles together. And I think when a strong civic culture um, pairs with structural change, that feels like the magic ticket, I think, to get some things done. Um, And I also want to mention the other key word in our mission is citizenship. And that can be a word that has a lot of different meanings to different people. And when we talk about citizenship, we're not talking about it in terms of documentation status. Um, We really need sort of this broader, more ethical sense of what it means to be a participating member of our shared society. Um, And we think about, you know, what is it that strong citizens do? They they show up, they listen and learn, um, they join groups, they take action, they serve, um, they start conversations. Um, And I think that this is important because when we think about what a strong democracy requires, it depends on strong citizens. And this seems sort of obvious, I think, but when you think about what happens when people check out as their role, check out of their role as citizens, um, 
or don't feel like they've ever been given an avenue to participate, um, I think that's when we start to feel cynical and disconnected and that nothing will ever change or that I don't have any power. Um, and so I think more than just understanding sort of how a bill gets passed, helping people understand what their role is as a citizen and why it matters to try um, is really important. And the great news is that you don't have to be an elected official to be a strong citizen. Each one of us can work towards becoming a stronger citizen, whoever we are, wherever we are. So um, when I think about why I get excited about this work, I think about building a civic culture, helping people feel like stronger citizens um, as a key piece of sort of moving our country forward um, and supporting a democracy that works for everybody and is something I feel really lucky to get to work on every day. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kayla. I, I will say I have attended a Civic Saturday before here in Seattle, and I felt that same way. Like I, I felt like I was going to church again, and I grew yeah. up in like the Protestant faith, like the reading of like sacred texts. Right. I think at that one, they read like the oath that like uh, senators, representatives take, yeah. say when they take on their oath of office, which is really cool to read out loud. And then there was music. There was like, you know, people talking to each other. And then there was actually a civic sermon that Eric, uh, uh, Eric Liu uh, produced and like and gave, which was just really moving and powerful. So I encourage anyone. Uh, there are civic Saturdays across the country, I believe. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so please uh, feel free to find those on citizen news website, but yeah, it's a great, great uh, way to meet people and gather. Um, Thanks, so another organization that uh, brings people in gathers is a uh, Seattle city club. So I would love to have Whitney uh, introduce uh, herself and talk a little bit about the work that she does and why she does it. I just have so many parallels to the stories that Rochelle shared and Kayla shared. Um, I, I mean, I'd think back to when I was a kid and growing up in a family in Tacoma, Washington, and apart from voting and hearing my parents talk about political issues, we read the newspaper back then and always had lively discussions. My parents were educators. I didn't have much exposure to civics until my family owned a business and I ended up managing that business and got really involved in local government. So the neighborhood business district would go and advocate to the mayor and city council to try to get, you know, more street lights or try to get more park benches or more parking. And it was just really cool to know that you had some power and some voice. And long story short, I ended up working for the city of Tacoma. My boss, who was in urban planning, took a risk on me and brought me in because I was a young entrepreneur and had some cred with the business community. And so it was wonderful opportunity to be inside government and see how government built partnerships with communities, with business and other government agencies and individuals and neighborhoods and see progress and see impact and actually have a positive experience for government, with positive experience with government. And you know, then fast forward, um, I knew Eric Liu and Citizen University way back when and have also been to those Civic Saturdays and different types of events put on. And yeah, it was just wonderful to to see and experience something really positive that's related to civics and government and learn more. And then like Rochelle shared, I too have someone that I knew who ran for office and I, I never thought I'd get involved in a campaign, but one of my Dear friends, Manka Dingra decided to run for the 45th district and become a senator and was a woman, was a woman of color, uh, was starting to be kind of an independent, decided to be Democrat, and then was able to actually flip that district, but is such a bipartisan person. Um, and it was very exciting. I ended up working on her campaign and helping her with her communication and media strategy. So again, I've, I've just had these 
opportunities throughout my life and career to have very positive experiences with government, government agencies to see the impact of our democracy and know personally the experiences that getting involved in civics can have on our communities and, and kind of our, our self, our soul, which is the work of Citizen University. And City Club, I had a wonderful experience over several years, I went to some of our civic cocktail programs before I worked here. And it was so cool to, again, actually go to an event where there were drinks if you wanted to have drinks and food and community. And there might be Republicans and Democrats that are talking to each other. What a concept. And to have access. I know one of the first ones I went to, our Attorney General, Bob Ferguson, was right there. He wasn't on a big fancy stage. No, there weren't security guards. Just a a couple hundred people and complete access. You could get up and ask a question. And I loved that, again, access and inclusion that City Club was all about, trying to create opportunities for people to have access to information, connect with each other, and really engage with elected officials and and engage around democratic issues. So those are some of the things that motivate me and get me really excited about this work and understand the importance of it, too. Uh, thank you so much for that response, Whitney. I I also work in government um, in 2018. I worked for the city of Seattle in the Department of Neighborhoods. And that really opened my eyes a ton. You know, I had been involved in civics, volunteering in my community. I coached at Franklin High School. But working at the city opened my eyes so much to like how government works and the role of government and how good governance works really great. And how also I think a lot of times uh, the community doesn't fully understand how uh, nuanced government policies can be and how like, you know, you can't just make something happen. How do you get consensus? How do you do engagement? And how do you really listen? And that was a big role that we did in the department of neighborhoods just to really listen to folks. And so, yeah, so, you know, this, this is great. I love having uh, all three of you on. on. Um, And now that you've talked a little about the, why you engage in the work uh, and you've already started this journey, I would love to hear more about like who you are and just in general, like what's your life story? And that's a big part of our programming. We always ask our guests the same questions. We want to know your story because we use uh, this, you know, this, this idea of like the story of self, the story of us and the story of now. Uh, and so we want to really start with like giving people a chance to not be erased, but to really tell their own story in their own words. And you're all free to tell the story that you want to tell, but uh, this floor is open. And so I'm going to start in the same order. So uh, Rochelle, why don't you lead us off? Great. Well, it was great hearing everyone's uh, responses to the first question. I just wanted to tell Whitney that Senator Dingra is one of my favorite legislators. I've been working with her over the last uh, three or four years now, creating the statewide equity office. This was a piece of legislation that uh, she had uh, sponsored in the Senate. And I'm just so pleased that we finally have the office uh, open and um, we have a new executive director leading the office. So uh, I've I've just enjoyed working with her. So I'm also from Tacoma. Um, I wasn't born in Tacoma. Uh, I was actually born in Vicksburg, Mississippi, but my parents met in Tacoma. Uh, my dad was based at, uh, J- at Port Louis, and uh, my mom was a fourth-generation Tacoma resident. And um, my dad convinced my mom to move to the South, um, which was very interesting because they were an interracial couple, and this is back in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, uh, my dad's family was from Mississippi, and he wanted to go home. And so my parents uh, had me in Mississippi in the early 80s, and um 
uh, it was a really difficult life for them. And uh, they ended up uh, separating. And my mom moved me back uh, to Washington with her. And I ended up growing up in the house that uh, my grandma was actually born in, which was pretty cool. And um, I my mom just instilled in me um, just very strong values. And uh, she was certainly uh, an example of a very strong, independent woman. And uh, she taught me to be um, uh, self, uh, self-reliant self because uh, life can throw really difficult situations at you. And it's important that you're able to um, pick yourself up and to move on. And she certainly demonstrated that to me on a daily basis. And she's certainly one of my biggest uh, uh, role models and uh, one of the people um, I admire the most. And uh, and she also was really committed to social service. She worked for the Department of Social and Health Services. And um, she had in her, I think from a very young age, um, this commitment to service. And uh, she instilled that in me. And um, it, it was just really important and, and an integral part of my foundation. Uh, and I think that's why I am in government today, partially, um, aside from, you know, following uh, um, President Obama. But um, she just showed how important service was and how important it was to build a community around you and to support the community around you. And um, I, I, I couldn't speak any higher of her. And I'm just so pleased that I had her as a mom. And I hope when I have children one day that I'll be um, a, a similar role model for them as she was for me. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, international issues were something I was really passionate about. And I thought I was going to do international law. So um, since I'm not working in international policy, that is something that I care a lot about. And um, when we're not in COVID, I do tend to travel quite a bit internationally. I try to find different opportunities to go abroad. And I've been able to visit over 50 countries. And um, it, it's something that has really um, made me who I am. I have a deep appreciation for culture and language and a deep uh, appreciation and respect for um, uh, people's histories and where they come from. Thank you so much for uh, talking about um, your background and your history and your family. And so, much, so many of our guests come and talk about family when I ask this question. I think it makes sense because we're really a product of, you know, the, the, the our parents. And it doesn't mean that every single one of us had both parents in the home or had great relations with our parents, but like it is a big part of our, our, who we are for sure. Thank you so much. Um, Kayla, why don't you go ahead? Uh, thanks Frank. Um, I also, the first thing I thought of on this question was my parents. Um, they both grew up in Jewish households in New Jersey um, and moved to California at uh, various points in their lives and met there. Um, so I grew up in, in Southern California in a little town called Moore Park, um, though I feel like I have this sort of East Coast, West, West Coast ethic um, from, from my parents. Um, but when I was a kid, um, my mom wrote for our local newspaper um, and her job was to write human interest stories. Um, she actually started on like the police blotter and sort of worked her way up to just kind of like writing a story here and there and, and became um, um, a beat writer for the paper doing human interest stories. And so 
that was so cool for me as she was constantly learning about people in our community who were doing things like uh, restoring an old local theater or who were starting new soccer camps for kids or who were on the school board. Um, and I think that was something that really helped me see from an early age of like, who are the people that are doing things that are important? Um, and they're not always like the mayor of the town. Um, these were the people that were making things happen and they were just regular people. And that I think, um, through that work, she really encouraged um, me and our family to really get involved with some of these things that um, we were learning about. We got really involved with our local Relay for Life um, and other kind of community things around town. And so um, watching my mom do this job was a really formative experience for me and also, um, you know, instilled in me a love of writing. Um, I love that, you know, local newspapers are so important, support your local papers. Um, so I was glad to get to see um, her do that work as I was a kid. Um, I grew up, I went to school at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, um, where, you know, I was a, a business major, but I think my favorite thing that I did there was being a tour guide. <laughs> um, I loved being able to talk about the school that I loved and, and help encourage other people, students and families to, to join in and come um, to Cal Poly. Um, and what brought me up to Seattle after college was um, for an internship with an organization called One Reel, um, which... For many decades, um, they were the producers of Bubbershoot Music Festival. Um, and so that was so awesome, obviously, to get to work on, on that event. Um, but really, I feel lucky to have been able to experience working on a festival team. Um, that is really a unique experience and a huge labor of love to get to um, work with a ragtag team of people to put together this amazing experience that happens over several days. Um, and I've continued to stay involved with the Seattle arts community, um, which is such a vital and vibrant part of our city. Um, I currently serve on the Seattle Arts Commission and feel really lucky to get to serve um, the city in that way. Um, but I, you know, I think what I really took away from working on, on Bumbershoot was this, you know, idea that positive and communal experiences are so important. Um, you know, when you're at a festival and you're having a shared and joyful experience with a bunch of strangers, um, I just love in thinking about how we can infuse that same ethic into other experiences. Um, so I, you know, since then I've worked at the Seattle Chamber of Commerce doing some um, young professionals and women in business programs, and then eventually moved over to where I am now at Citizen University. But um, when I think about kind of the through line of that, I just really think about how much I love watching people who care and want to show up and get involved and, and how those types of people are, are the ones who make things happen. Um, and so glad to just be continuing to think about that in my current work and hopefully forever and ever. Thank you so much for that response. Whitney, tell us your story. Tell us about who you are. I shared a little bit about my story. I grew up in this entrepreneurial family. My parents were both artists. And we are professors and we had two businesses. We had a wholesale pottery business out of our home and we had a retail art gallery where we sold our artwork and artwork of others from around the country. And I have a brother and we just grew up in a working. I mean, from the time we were little kids, we were expected to work and it was really good experience. I mean, you learn customer service and inventory management and sales and all kinds of skills. And then I went on to manage that retail store when I was a little bit older. And entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism has been a theme throughout my career. I've worked in government, I've worked in corporate, I've worked um, for nonprofits, obviously many different places, but I, I really look for opportunities where you could be innovative and resourceful and curious and there's potential to do more. So that's kind of been a driving theme for me. And another theme 
And something that's influenced me is my passion for communication and storytelling and connecting with others in that way. I was a pre-med major originally with well-intentioned parents who thought that would be a good career for a woman. And I did like some math and science classes, but man, I took a public speaking class and I still remember leaving that class and calling my mom and saying, I think there's, I could have a career where you can just talk and communicate. (laughs) Um, And I loved journalism. I mean, Kayla's stories about her mom really speak to me because as I said earlier, I grew up in a family where we valued the newspaper and we watched 60 Minutes and we would have conversations about what was in the news. And I had a fantastic professor named Cliff Rao who taught me about ethics in journalism, which, you know, is so needed today. We still need our free press and that's a critical part of our democracy. So, all aspects of communication are important to me, especially now with um, so much focus on racial justice. Just making language is so important and gender issues, you know, acknowledging how we communicate and what words are appropriate and really being sensitive and thoughtful to others. And a final theme throughout my career has been just the power of individuals, people, and relationships. When I was working in that city of Tacoma job, my first kind of real permanent boss outside of my family business was a Filipina named Marisa Craig. And she took a risk on me and she instilled values in me. She was deeply focused on community engagement, you know, and taught me how to run a community meeting and be out in neighborhoods and um, be very thoughtful about what time you hold meetings and make sure you have food there if it's late at night and think about babysitting and daycare for parents um, she she's still working in government now. I think she's the assistant city manager for University Place, which is a city in Washington state. So people like her were just incredible. And similar to Rochelle's passion for the State Department, I had this amazing life-changing experience to work with the State Department through the Obama administration. I received a request when I had a consulting business to go to Malaysia and I had never thought about going to Malaysia and it was to do a series of cultural exchange programs focused on entrepreneurship for women in primarily Muslim communities and just got plopped down in a very different part of the world, met the most incredible people, opened my eyes to Muslim culture, which is really no different than any other culture. But at that time that I was doing that work, There was a lot of misinformation about Muslim communities in the United States. And it was just incredible to, again, see such good work being done by our government with other governments and have what's so needed, I think, right now in our country and around the world is just information exchange, connecting with people, sharing meals, sharing stories. Uh, That really has been one of the most incredible experiences that I've had. And so all those those things, sort of that entrepreneurial spirit and a real focus on communication and how that can connect us to other people, building relationships and and really deeply valuing these individuals that we can can connect with and make a difference with in our community, inspire me every day to do this type of work. Uh, Thank you for that uh, response, Whitney. It's one of those things where I think about... um the power of travel, right? And I think Rochelle also talked about the countries that you visited and how important travel is. And it's really incredibly eye-opening to like visit other cultures and expand your worldview so that it encompasses the worldview of others. And I think that's a, a blessing to be in communities that are diverse because 
even if you can't travel, you can still learn from your neighbors and your community members. So that's really cool about the South End. So I just want to give a plug for them. Well, Frank, you bring up a good point. Yeah, we don't have to travel to another country to get that experience. We forget that within our own communities, within an 30 minutes or an hour, you might have a very different experience in a part of Tacoma or part of Eastern Washington, or like you're saying, just another neighborhood in Seattle. It is important to get out of our bubble and, and go make connections in new ways with different people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, before we go into the next phrase where we, um, everyone gets to talk about the things that they're working on. I would love if, you know, if the, our guests have any questions for each other or any other comments, kind of like what you just did um, for anything they've heard so far. So I'll open up the space for you. Well, I was going to ask uh, Kayla about working with Eric. Um, I've uh, had the privilege of listening to him speak on a number of different um, opportunities. And uh, I know as, uh, the, this was his concept. And um, I'm just curious what it's been like learning from him. He seems like an amazing leader. Yeah, um, he absolutely is. I um, I, I mean, he is, he is a, a civic visionary, really. I mean, he started his career. Uh, he, he didn't start his career, but he um, worked for a number of years as a, as a speechwriter uh, for P- President Bill Clinton. And so, um, you know, all the way from just the ways that he thinks about citizenship and civic life and democracy down to his ability to give great feedback and notes on, you know, pieces of writing or, or you know, it, he's just a really incredible person to work with and work for. And I feel really lucky to get to, um, you know, connect with someone who has really shaped my own worldview and the way that I think about some of this stuff. When I was at city year, we actually had a board member who also wrote for a speech, was a speechwriter for president uh, Clinton. And so we had these AmeriCorps members and they would give these like addresses and speeches. And it's like, it was so cool to be like, okay, we're going to work on your speech and our board member is going to help. And FYI, he used to write speeches for president Clinton and then the, the people are like, what? That's amazing. So it's really cool to watch. Um, really, uh, gifted folks um, just keep mentoring. And I think uh, I had a conversation earlier today about like, what is your, uh, you know, like the Hemingway, like thing about like, what is your, you know, story in six words, right. Or your manifesto in six words. And I think I said something like about like, I would measure my success in friends. Right. And so the idea of like, how do you pass on what you know in terms of mentorships? So that's why I love coaching. Um, and it's such a great way to give back. And I'm sure you all are doing that and have had mentors yourself. But uh, for for you all and for all the audience members, like, yeah, mentoring is a great uh, thing to do, but also to find mentors. And I actually strongly encourage you, if you are 40 or older, find a mentor who's younger than you. Find a 20-year-old mentor. Find a 25-year-old, a 30-year-old mentor. Because now we always think about, like, people that are older than us. And I think there's definitely um, great mentors that we should find that who are younger than us who have different lived experience and perspective. I love younger mentors. I have a bunch of them and I would not survive without them. (laughs) I was teaching at Seattle University for a while in strategic communication and responsible leadership courses. And some of my best students are now 30-ish, somewhere around there. And yeah, they're just fantastic individuals. I learned so much from them. I couldn't agree with you more. Wonderful. Nice. Well, it's, uh, I would love to hear more about more stories in the future from young folks. And we, we need to get more on this podcast. Thank you for sharing your, uh, your stories, uh, telling us a little bit about who you are. And the reason we do this on this podcast is because we believe that social cohesion, social connection really helps inspire people to support each other as we work on things, you know? And so, so now we're going to actually ask all of you to talk about a project you're working on. 
It could be something in the world of work, something that your actual organization is doing. It could be a side hustle that you have. Maybe you're growing a business or you're an entrepreneur. It could be a passion project. Maybe you're a, a board member for an organization and you want to talk about something that they're doing. So there's no like parameters here. So I would love to hear about a project that you're working on and pitch it to us, pitch it to, to the other people in this group and to the audience. Great. Well, thank you, Frank. Uh, this is actually really timely. We're in the middle of the legislative session, and I'm working on a, a piece of uh, legislation that is governor request and also the insurance commissioner request. It is a Senate Bill 5010, and it's related to the use of credit scores in uh, determining an individual's insurance uh, rates. And uh, you may or may not know this, but uh, insurance companies uh, do use credit scores and determining uh, an, an individual's uh, insurance rate. And it's actually quite discriminatory. Um, if you know the history about our country and redlining, you know that uh, people of color, communities of color, and low-income folks tend to not have as high of credit scores as as uh, white uh, as their white counterparts. And uh, the use of credit scores is a discriminatory practice, and we are trying to get that practice banned here in the state. And uh, for example, this is really uh, alarming and I think shocking to a lot of folks, but an individual who has a DUI in excellent credit will actually pay about $500 to $600 less than someone uh, with uh, poor credit and no uh, traffic infractions or uh, 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 wrecks uh, recently. And that is just really disturbing and unfortunate and fair, unfair, especially at this time right now when so many folks are experiencing incredible financial loss because of COVID. And so the bill would uh, prohibit the use of uh, using uh, cred uh, credit scores in determining an individual's insurance rate. As you can imagine, the insurance industry is fighting this very hard. Um, this is a practice that happens in almost every other state. Um, there's uh, a couple of states that don't allow for the use of credit scores, and that one is California and another one is Hawaii. Uh, but they're in the minority. And uh, we're uh, fighting really hard, but the insurance industry has come out really strong. We had a lot of Democratic support for the bill. There's over 22 legislators who are in the Senate who signed on in support of the bill as uh, co-sponsors of the bill, but um, it's stalled right now. And I say this is timely because I know by the time this airs, um, there'll still be an opportunity for you all out there uh, um, listening as audience members to uh, call in and talk with your local legislators and to ask and demand that they uh, move this bill off the uh, Senate floor. So that's my project. And I would appreciate any of your support. Thanks, Rochelle. And I do want to say as a, a nonprofit, we are not, uh, we're nonpartisan, partisan, but definitely go, uh, Rochelle will share the, uh, the link to the, the bill and we are happy to share it as a public information uh, thing. And so definitely go in. And then if this is something that you care about and you're interested in supporting, definitely go and campaign and talk to your representatives because no matter what the issue is, the more we can let our representatives know what we care about and want, like that's really a big part of this democracy work that we're doing, right? And so I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much, Rochelle. I have one question, Rochelle. Um, thank you so much for bringing my attention to that. And I will personally learn more about it and share that information with others. And I am curious, This, as we know, this is not just in that industry. In your role, do you take a systematic approach? Are you looking for similar types of 
um, okay, you're just kind of starting with we, this one and what's that actually, process like? Thank you for asking, Whitney. So uh, the use of credit scores um, pops up in a, lots of different places that you would um, not imagine. So uh, sometimes employers might uh, want to see your credit scores when they're making you a job offer. And um, uh, in certain circumstances, that's prohibited in our state, but in other circumstances, it is permitted. And so um, it, it is a problem. And uh, this is one area where it has a significant financial impact on folks. And we have such a large number of Washingtonians who are actually uh, uninsured motorists. We are one of the largest in the state, in the country. And it's partially because of the cost of uh, insurance for folks here. And um, low-income folks are unable to purchase their insurance. So um, we think this will have a ripple effect and we'll see the use of credit scores in other areas um, banned as well. I know that uh, President Biden is also looking at this issue and um, he has a uh, a task force looking at it uh, and different industries and how it's being used as well. Hmm. Thank you for that, Martin, that, that further information. I think it's really interesting when people think about, you know, any legislation that comes out and they're like, well, that's for, you know, to benefit X, Y, and Z folks. Right. And, and in this case, you know, um, folks who are underinsured and that is generally mostly uh, folks of color, low income folks, right. In terms of credit score and, and the historical reasons for that being what it is. Um, as uh, Rochelle mentioned, but it also, you know, when you, <clears throat> when you take care of a group of people, especially, um, I think I'm thinking about, uh, someone we've been partnering with, uh, Professor Susan McDowell at MIT, who works in civic design. And he has this theory around design calling, instead of designing from the center, you design from the margins, right? And so the, the, the more you create a policy that can cover more people and you create a, a bigger tent, you actually make the tent stronger and more stable. And actually benefits all those in the middle as well. And so a lot of this, you know, I think people see as like, can see policies around like a scarcity mindset or like a zero sum game. Like if you're getting something, that means I'm getting less. But the true uh, power of this podcast and civic comments and what we're trying to do, and I think where everyone here is trying to do, is to engage more people to make the tent bigger, to include more people, because it actually makes the body stronger. And that's definitely something that when you mentioned that there are these underinsured motorists out there because they cannot afford the insurance because of the, the credit store uh, usage by insurance companies. That is also like unsafe for themselves is unsafe for people on the road. Um, and so that's just, you know, it's just one of those things that I just want to key in that that's just so important that we are taking care of everyone. Right. Because that's the, the when we we're all better when we're all better, something that we say a lot in civic comments. So. Frank, I don't know if you are familiar or Whitney or Rochelle with um, a book that just came out um, called the sum of us by Heather McGee. Um, oh my gosh, recommend you check it out and everyone listening. It, it really is about that concept, um, particularly um, focused on race and the zero sum thinking. Um, uh, I, I became aware of it because of a um, New York Times op-ed that she wrote that you could start with. Her name is Heather McGee, um, but uh, follow it up with a book that I'm really excited to read that really just is about that exact idea. Mm, yeah. And for my guests, I just want to remind them, please send me links to anything that you talked about, because when we do the write-up, we'll add all these links here that we mentioned. And so be it the bill, be it the book, be it your organization's, well, I know your organization's websites. I'm pretty sure I know the Washington State website. Um, but yeah, so please, uh, we'll share those with the audience in the, the detailed notes. Um, thank you so much, uh, 
Rochelle, uh, Kayla, do you want to talk about a project that you're working on? Sure. I'm going to do two, two mini pitches. Sure. Um, the first is just to say that um, this gathering that I described and that you all had mentioned that you're familiar with Civic Saturdays, we are always recruiting for, for people all around the country to get trained um, in our Civic Saturday fellowship program um, to lead their own Civic Saturdays um, in, in communities around the country. We've now trained um, close to 120 people um, and have cohorts in the spring. We have more cohorts in the fall. And this is something that um, we're really excited about um, equipping and supporting people to really adapt this idea to their own communities. So if that's something that's interesting to you, um, check out our website and there's more information on how to apply or nominate someone. Um, the second, taking my CU hat off, um, you know, I, I've been following, as some of you have, um, the HR1 bill um, that's making its way um, nationally and really focused on democracy reforms. And um, it, it makes me really think about some of the democracy reform work that's happening on the statewide level um, that people may not be as familiar with. And so I just wanted to give a plug to Fair Vote Washington, um, who are working to um, get ranked choice voting um, passed here in Washington. There's a, a bill making its way through um, the process right now. Uh, 1156, I think. Don't quote me on that, but um, that's that's um, local options to to allow cities and counties to use ranked choice voting in Washington state elections. But Fair Vote is really working on um, just this reform generally and, and helping bring it to Washington. And so, um, just want to give a plug for for their work and the good democracy reform work that isn't just national that's happening at the state and local level. Awesome. Um... For our listeners who aren't aware of exactly what frank choice voting is, can you you want to give a plug about what that is? Oh boy, um, yes, it is. You know what? I actually think that one of um, one of the few cons of ranked choice voting is that it's confusing, um, which is good news because it becomes less confusing once you learn more about it. But really, the idea is that instead of just um, voting for a single candidate, um, people can rank their choices. Um, and so the idea is that um, someone has to eventually win a majority of of people's votes, whether that's their second, third. Uh, or fourth choices. Um, I would recommend Googling um, or looking up on YouTube ranked choice voting and watching a few videos. It, it's easier to sort of explain if you see a visual, but really the idea is to create uh, more equitable representation, um, to create more um, uh, civil um, conversation in some of our dialogue around elections and really allow more people to feel like they can um, become a part of the process and that you don't have to kind of vote for who you think's going to win rather than who you want. You can, you can uh, rank your choices. So, um, I think it's it's a really awesome and important reform that we could actually see in Washington. Um, but definitely check it out on Google. Better explanation than, than I have done here. <laughs> and Kayla's right. It's House Bill 1156. And um, we actually have experience with ranked choice voting here in Washington. Uh, we've used it in Pierce County. And um, it's really quite popular down in California and in the Bay Area. Lots of local jurisdictions use it as a um, voting mechanism. Whitney, why don't you tell us about what you're working on? We at City Club are working on something very exciting this year. This is our 40th year, and we are prioritizing an initiative called Dialogue Across Differences to try to help with the polarization that's happening in our politics around the country and really all over the place right now. And we are doing everything we can, but we, we're still struggling, kind of questioning, what does this look like? What does it mean? Is it just a, getting two people together that have different opinions? We at City Club are not experts on 
training people on how you have these difficult conversations, but we really see this need. So we're, we're looking into it and we would love support. We would love to find partners to explore this. We did a really good job of this in our civic cocktail program. Recently, we had Bill Bryant, who's a Republican in our state who did run against Governor Inslee a couple campaigns ago, paired up with Rick Wilson, um, who is a different type of Republican, who is one of the founders of the Lincoln Project. And although they're within the same party, they respectfully discussed some differences. They respectfully discussed um, what's happening on a local level compared to a national level. And it was, to me, very eye-opening and fascinating conversation. Last night, we had another program where we were trying to bring two different, very different perspectives together. We had our two party chairs within Washington State, Republican and Democratic Party. And a story came out in the news this morning about how polarizing that conversation was. And it was it was eye opening where we were trying to have a civil conversation, but it was tough for those two party chairs to come together. And I think, you know, idealistically city club was thinking we can bring this together and show people that we can have conversations and we know we can, but it's just, it's inspiring because there's so much potential and people need this. I mean, I think all of you probably have these stories where we've got that one family member that we can't really talk to anymore, or that one friend who's got more extreme views than we have. And so how do we bring people together? Frank, kind of what you were saying before, it, travel and exposure to different people and different cultures can help do that. Um, but that's something that we're going to work on. So if anyone has any ideas, suggestions, partner organizations, we're going deep into this this year. We're not stopping until we could kind of help do our part when it comes to bringing people together, bridging those divisions, and finding more ways to just create thoughtful opportunities for conversation and and listening. I mean, I think one of you mentioned that earlier too. It's not always about us telling our opinions, you know, or putting our thoughts forward, but really stepping back and listening. But if you disagree with someone or there's misinformation, you know, how do you, how do you listen? So we're all ears when it comes to this topic, this, especially this year. Um, I would love to talk to you about this. Uh, I also would like to, uh, if you may be familiar with um, the Better Arguments Project, um, which is oh, fantastic. So um, the Aspen Institute's um, uh, Citizenship and Identity Program has an initiative called the Better Arguments Project that has a whole framework around this. And they actually train groups to to um, use their models. So that, that could be something I'm happy to connect you um, with. That. Oh, thank you, Kayla. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. And Whitney, I was also thinking about the Aspen Ideas Festival. I attended that a couple of years ago, and they do bring folks together on a platform on issue um, with very diverse viewpoints uh, to talk about different issues. And, it, and they've been able to make it work um, successfully. And so um, I would, if you'd like for me to connect you with folks there, I'm more than happy to do that too. Oh, Rochelle, I appreciate that. Thank you for those suggestions. We'll definitely follow up. This is, I'm just in the background, just like beaming, because this is my favorite part of the the podcast where people kind of help each other out, you know, give people other resources, uh, make connections, et cetera. And that's something that I've seen at Citizen News uh, Civic Laboratory, uh, which I attended in Chicago. And we had, uh, I think, I think she was one of the co-founders of the Bulwark Project, the Bulwark, which is a, uh, uh, right, uh, uh, a, a conservative radio podcast series and newspaper or, or uh, uh, news uh, blog, and it was just great listening to to her speak. 
in a room that was not just progressives and liberals, but there was also people on the right side of the aisle. And it's something you said, Whitney, like having the two party chairs, you know, when I think about that, I can, I can only see like how difficult it may be for them as people that are representing their party for their state. Right. When you're talking about, you know, differences between two individuals, that's one thing, but to try to talk about things with knowing bearing the weight of like an entire party on your shoulders, I can only imagine that it can only be, the only certain talking points would come out. Right. And so, yes, you know, and so I can only, you know, I think a lot about, you know, the work we're trying to do around belonging is that I, we think about belonging and our listeners uh, who have listened for a long time, have heard me say this before, you know, belonging has to happen in, in like four different spheres, right. It has to happen internally. And so you, everyone needs to do their own internal work about like how they feel connected or don't feel connected and why, how do they other people and why is that happening? Is it through fear and anxiety? Is it through uh, misunderstanding and ignorance? But then you also have to take the belonging work into your interpersonal connections with your friends, family members, coworkers, anyone that you interact with. And how are those interactions going? How are, how is, how are you building bridges as opposed to creating uh, breaks? And then, you know, how do you, how do institutions play a part in belonging? Right. And are they welcoming? How do they onboard people? How do they work with other institutions? Is there a lot of like secrecy? Is there more transparency? And then how do you create that more systemically in the region? Um, but yeah, it's like, it's not like you have to do one, two, three, and four, I think in order, like you can work on them in sequence or et cetera. But yeah, I, it's just, it's just, it's, it's interesting where we live now with the, the, the time and place we live in, because there's so much anxiety. And I know, I'm pretty sure Whitney, you know, John Powell's work uh, at the Othering and Belonging Institute. And so I think Professor Powell has done some great thinking and the, the folks at the, that institute around like, um, you know, working on issues around belonging and and breaking and bonding and othering. Uh, it's just really fascinating work that they all do out there. So big plug for them. Yeah. I was just going to say too, Frank, bring it back to the idea of democracy. Something that Eric uh, talks about is, you know, he, he's a big baseball fan and he likes to make baseball metaphors. And he talks about, you know, we all are rooting for our team. We want our team to win. But at the end of the day, we want a fair game. That's what we are trying to do when, in this democracy work is create um, a, a game that is fair and equitable and that, you know, both teams feel like, OK, we are coming in and sending our best players and we're going to play this game and and go. And, and sometimes my team's going to win and sometimes your team's going to win. Um, but if we feel like the game is is set up so that we can play well. That's, I think, um, what I really hope for in our democracy. Mm. That's a great point. We just did a book club around the book, Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein. And we it was one of the one of the first programs that we've done where we really did the Zoom breakout groups. And it was wonderful in this COVID time to actually get to connect with a handful of people that you've never seen before that are willing to talk and have a safe space or very thoughtful conversations. But that book really digs into, there are some sports themes, Kayla. So I'm sure Eric has already read it, but yeah, just how, how passionately people feel about their sports teams. And then with politics, we've taken that passion just to another level. Um, We also did a, did a book club on this wonderful book called Seattle in black and white. That's about the civil rights movement here in Seattle. And so many growing up white, I'm one of those people. So many people didn't learn that there actually were civil rights activities happening here. And it's a wonderful book that was written by four women. And we were so fortunate to have two of the surviving authors speak and once again, here's a, here's a program that we did that was about racial inequities and 
we did breakout groups, which again, you don't know how that would go with your fellow community members, such thoughtful conversations. We, we had wonderful um, moderators and speakers, and it was just great to see people come together around another topic that can be so hard and is so heartbreaking and, and can be polarizing for some and have people at least here really come together and be open and talking about those topics. So I'm, I'm very hopeful, but it is, it is hard right now. I think so many average people don't know how you have these hard conversations and what does that look like? And people aren't necessarily good at listening. We we've kind of created this culture now where it's easy as we all know to kind of slip away and just look at my cell phone and do what I want to do. And I know all of us in our organizations are all about getting people together and connecting and putting down those cell phones for just a little while, unless you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> well, well, with that, I, I want to be respectful to our guest's time and their commitment. Um, but I do want to end with this thought because it's great having, you know, like Rochelle working in government, working in policy. I know Whitney, you've worked in government and worked on policy yourself. I have as well. But also the flip side of democracy is not just the rules and the laws, which are incredibly important because as uh, Kayla was saying, how Eric uses the, the idea of baseball. Yeah, the rules and laws are important because we want a fair game. But we also want the teams to actually respect each other. And even though they compete hard at the end of the game to like shake hands or at least, at least like, you know, be be understanding that, yo, may, we may have lost, but, you know, the game was fair, but I respect you. I understand you, even though I wanted to beat you or, or compete against you. And that's the other side of like, I think, democracy that, you know, we are also working on. How do we see each other as fully human? How do we expand our, our horizons and our worldview so that we accept more people into the larger circle of who we are, right? And that's something Professor Powell talks about, like ex- the ex- ever expanding circle of human trust and concern. And so it's both. We need the rules. We need the fair play. But we also need to le- learn how to relearn how to like see each other as fully human um, when we're so genetically so similar. Right. Uh, I think we're more similar than dogs or cats. Genetically, I think we're like 98 percent like similar DNA. And I think dogs and cats are like 70 percent. I'm not no harm against dogs and cats. Everyone. I love them all. I'm allergic to them deathly, but they seem very cute. Uh, but yes, humans are really connected. And so that is something that, you know, that ties us together. And with that, I just want to thank my guests for coming on the, the podcast. Thank you again to the big phony. Uh, I also want to shout out uh, our belonging gathering, uh, which has started. Um, people can still join. You can go to uh, America's Path Forward's website. Um, we can send that in the detailed notes. And there's still a chance for you to talk about and engage in the questions you have about our region's future. But yeah, with that said, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Appreciate you all. And always remember, don't break bonds, build bridges.